Welcome to another episode of In My Own Words. Every speaker has a story to tell and something to share. How they got started, why they chose this specific niche, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Join me, Charles Schwen, as I interview professional members about their personal journey in the professional speaking world and how PSASA played a part in their career growth. You know, there's a beautiful story where a little boy said, you know, he prefers the radio to television. So he's asked why. And he says the pictures are better when he listens to the radio. Huh. And um, and I wanted to be on the radio, not necessarily as a DJ or announcer or anything, but to be interviewed. Mm. And um, I ended up doing a whole lot of that. I worked for Microsoft at one stage and I was interviewed on the radio regularly. So today we have none other than Ian. Ian Hatton has a very, very interesting title and it's got something to do similar to the Matrix, but it's not or something like that. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's the Morpheus genius. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you very much, Charles. It's great <laughs> to be here. Yes, indeed. I am Morpheus. Yes. So red pill or the other pill, right? That's um... absolutely red <laughs> pill all the way. But you know, what? like Ian, before I get to that part, I want to know something about I mean, I saw, I was reading your bio and I saw something quite interesting. That is, uh, at the age of 19, you had to speak to a thousand people. What was that event that was a thousand people at the age of 19? I was uh, appointed a leader of a youth team. So at the age of 19, yes, I was appointed leader of a youth team that was going to be traveling around Southern Africa, uh, doing various work in schools and so on, inspiring the youth. And it was a multicultural team as well which was quite unique back in the early 1980s. And this was the launch. So we had, it was, it happened to be in a church, but it was a launch. Um, and I was asked to, as the leader of one of the teams, address the audience. And that was the size of the audience. Oh, wow. Were you, were you, was that your first uh, official public speaking gig? Yes, it was. That's, that's the fascinating thing for me is that up until that point, I'd hardly done any public speaking, including uh, being very avoidant of speeches at school. And, and before that, you never had any Toastmasters um, debating, nothing like that? To this day, I don't have Toastmasters or debating experience. <laughs> All right, no problem. And, and I just want to find out from you. I mean, like, we, we, you, you chose your career path for a reason, but what did you want to do growing up? What was the dream? So it's such an interesting question, and um, I'm going to give you two completely different answers. Sure. So the one was, as a child, and I mean sort of primary school age, maybe at the age of about nine or ten, somewhere around there, I remember thinking two things. Uh, the one was that I was um, in a church service, and I was looking at this guy speaking from the front, and I kind of went, I want to do that. And I don't think I necessarily meant preach, although I did end up doing a bit of that for a while, a long time ago, mm -hmm. and don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but it was about speaking from a stage. There was something that drew me about that. And the second thing is I loved the radio. You know, there's a beautiful story where of the little boy who said, you know, he prefers the radio to television. So he's asked why. And he says the pictures are better when he listens to the radio. Huh. And um, and I wanted to be on the radio, not necessarily as a DJ or announcer or anything, but to be interviewed. Mm. And um, I ended up doing a whole lot of that. I worked for Microsoft at one stage and I was interviewed on the radio regularly. So, um, I, yeah, so that was what drew me initially. Later, when it came to high school, where it was much more affected, I had two brothers in IT and I was drawn to the IT industry 
uh, thinking that that might be a good career for me. Mm. Um, but that was probably a betrayal of my childhood dream. <laughs> betrayal, okay. So I, I know you end up working at Microsoft as a product uh, marketing manager and you stayed in IT for almost two decades. But looking back, being a product manager, you had to go see clients. You are doing presentation. You are negotiating. You're handling a crisis. You are handling team members. Do you, if you're looking back, I'm sure that has shaped you of all the experience that over the years. It's kind of like a crash course on public speaking in a way, is it not? It, it certainly is. You know, the, the earlier part of my IT career, I was much more sort of operational, technical, and then management. But the latter part... Uh, the last sort of eight years, I was entirely focused on marketing and doing product launches, speaking to clients, speaking to channel partners, speaking to the press. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really got me used to the stage again and getting into um, doing those kinds of presentations, big launches. I was responsible for, in fact, what is still to this day the biggest product launch Microsoft has ever done in South Africa. Sure. Um, and, uh, and, and so... It, it was it was great. I mean, it was multiple, multiple events, multiple interviews, television, radio, uh, print, uh, and uh, and 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 that really did set me up in terms of speaking. Mm. But there was something else that went on at the same time, and that is that through my corporate career, I kept doing courses, like I would do a course on time management or leadership or you know team leadership or something like that. And every time I was on a course, I would be looking at the course facilitator and going, I would like to be doing what he or she is doing. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Now, I, I want to say, I'm, I'm dying to, to ask you this because you mean, you, you said like the, the, the product launch was one of the biggest and, 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 and this was like the heyday of, of Microsoft. Did you get a chance to meet Bill Gates by any chance? Yes, I did. Oh, snap. Tell me. <laughs> Well, actually, it was it was two occasions. The one was um, when he visited South Africa. Uh, in fact, I think it was twice when he visited South Africa. Um, I got the opportunity. What year was that? Um, but uh, so this would have been um, the one would have been in the late nineties, and the other one would have been around two thousand and two or two thousand and three. Two thousand and three, I think. Okay. Um, and then uh, I also went to, um, we, we had a global sales and marketing conference that we used to attend in, in the States, always in a, a different city in the United States and people mm. from all over the globe would attend. And the one particular day, they always had an expo and I was walking around the expo and I looked up, I was in this one particular booth and I looked up and um, uh, all of the senior guys of Microsoft, including Bill and Steve Barmer and everybody were together in the same booth as me oh, wow. and all shook my hand. And, you know, it was just one of those things. It's, uh, it must be surreal. Uh, it, it was surreal. It was totally surreal. Yeah. I mean, did you get a chance to chat to him? Not really. No, it was just more of a greet. Okay. Because, you know, there's, uh, the reason why I, what I thought that is, I suppose, coincident is uh, I'm busy watching a Netflix series called Inside Bill's Brain. And it is fascinating. So the fact that you got a chance to meet him, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. Look, you're the only person that I know that's met Bill, Bill in person. So, <laughs> so respect to that. But I want to ask you a little bit about your, about your, both, uh, about your business, Morpheus uh, Genius. I believe it was something that happened during the corporate career that planted a seed for you to start this, right? So it's probably a combination of a bunch of things, but I think the, the most important um, event was uh, 
a, a few friends and myself, we, we, we gathered together uh, occasionally, just kind of talking about where we are in life and where we're growing and what we're doing. Mm. And one of the ideas we came up with was trying to figure out what our sort of mythical or mystical uh, name was. <laughs> and, um, and, and it was so interesting because we, we, none of us sort of knew and we thought, okay, well, let's all go away and think about it for a week and then we'll come back and, and discuss it, mm. which we then did a week later. And uh, when they came to me, I said, look, I've thought about it for a week. I really don't know. I don't know who I am. And uh, my best friend's wife said to me, but it's so obvious who you are. Mm. And I went, what do you mean? Mm. Uh, and she said, well, you are Morpheus. And mm. I said, oh, man, you know, I, I wish I was Morpheus. There's no ways I'm Morpheus. Mm. And she said, no, no, but you are. And then they started listing things. They listed things like Morpheus isn't the hero. He's the one who raises up the hero mm. and calls the hero and builds the hero. He's the one who believes and everybody else has stopped believing. He's the one who addresses the great crowd in Zion. Um, and, and I've got this thing, which, which it's a bit corny, but it's, it's like, I want to rock the world by building conscious influences who rock their worlds. Hmm. That's very and, cool. And, and so it took me some time to accept that I am Morpheus. Hmm. And uh, so that's who I am. Sure. And um, the, so, I mean, how do you think your specific niche, if somebody's listening to this and then they say like, wow, this is a fascinating concept, how would you be able to, 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 to perhaps add value or help them? Um, if somebody asked you that question, what would you say? But why, why would somebody want to be helped for, for starters? So the problem is I see it as twofold. There's, okay. there's two major problems and it's two parts of the, it's two sides of the same coin. The first is that we are constantly um, pushed to be something other than who we are. We're we told who we should be, how we should be, what we should be. Mm. Um, and that's the one problem. We get that pressure right through school to conform, to align, um, to suppress that kind of thing. The, the second, the, the flip side of that coin is that we don't really know, understand, accept, and love who we really are, and especially we don't value our essence. Our essence, that sort of unique, deepest part of who we are, is where the real value comes from that we can add to the world. And most of us are pretty asleep about it. Mm. Okay. That, that's, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, was, that was quite cool. Now, I want to ask you, like, what, what do you love the most about what you do? It's, it's the working with people. So um, I, I, I call myself, other than Morpheus, I call myself a, a connector, a stimulator, and a challenger. Uh, and and in, in a way, to me, that is what love is. And I, I connect with people very deeply. I help them to connect with themselves. I help them to connect with other people. Sometimes I connect them with information or tools as well. Um, the stimulator is, is really about um, stimulating an alternate perspective, having another view of of interpreting something you know so asking questions like how might that look from your friend's perspective how might that look from your boss's perspective mm. how might that look you know from your client's perspective um and just sort of getting people to think of a different perspective on things a different point of view and and you know we're so conditioned in our society that sometimes we forget that there are other options out there and that's what the stimulator does can you give and me then an finally example? the challenger so can you give me an example of, of somebody that should help like a real 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 case that they, they went through these three phases 
So um, my best example is a, is a, is a guy called, uh, okay, I'm just going to give his first name. His name is Mandler. And Mandler approached me um, back in 2003, I think it was. Okay. And uh, he had um, fathered a child out of wedlock okay. and um, was, uh, came to consult with me because he wanted to get an, an opinion and help because he wasn't being allowed access to the child. And so we connected, uh, we went to, we met at a McDonald's and we, we had a burger together and, and so on. And then I, I asked him this question. I said to him, is there a relationship between rights and responsibilities? And he was like, he doesn't understand the question. What do I mean? So I said, so for example, do we have rights if we don't live up to our responsibilities? And he was like, well, probably not. That's a really interesting thought. So I said to him, in your case, what have you so far done for this child that you fathered? Hmm. And he looked at me blankly and then he said, nothing. He's, he's a poor student. He had no money. And genuinely, that was the case. He had nothing. Hmm. Um, his mother, a domestic worker from Bethlehem, putting him through university, which just is one of those awesome stories of our country. Hmm. And, um, and, and he's, he, he, so I challenged him. I said, I don't know that you have rights of access to this child until you're living up to your responsibilities as a father. And that was my challenge part. And um, he, he engaged with the challenge. And just a couple of weeks later, I got a text from him saying he'd managed to send a blanket. It was sort of autumn, getting a bit cold, and he'd managed to send a blanket. And he then took, up, took the challenge up and he started paying for daycare and then schooling and he's put away money for university as well. So uh, how was he able to now, do that as a student? So I think he probably skipped some meals and oh, found wow. somebody who could donate a, a blanket. It was that serious for him. Wow. He took it that seriously. Um, I, I mean, at that point, he, he literally walked everywhere. He had no money for transport or anything like that. And um, I, I think he skipped some meals. That's, that's sure. Yeah, that, that, is, is. that is one incredible story. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps from, from you sharing that. Well, well, let me tell you where Mandler is today. He's please, got his own please, business. Please. Mm -hmm. He's got his own business. He um, has completed his master's in business leadership, and he's currently about 80% of the way with his doctorate in business leadership. <laughs> wow, that's, that's a great story. Yeah. That, is, that is one great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. that you know what? When you, when you shared that story, it just put everything that you said, the framework it, alive, the whole thing just came alive and I was gripping and hanging on to every single word that you were saying. Now I want to, I want to change a little bit to the, um, change the subject a little bit to the PSASA. Now you are the president of the virtual chapter and I'm sure that came in very handy now, you know, <laughs> virtual chapter. <laughs> I mean, that's very handy. All now, of the right? chapters are currently virtual chapters, but yes, we've been functioning as the virtual chapter for a couple of years. Yeah. So, so, so talk to us a, a little bit about the virtual chapter. I mean, what was the big idea behind it? I mean, in case somebody's hearing this for the first time, they're like, um, I'm thinking about joining, but I don't know too much. So take it away. Yeah. So, you know, historically, uh, well, for, when I joined the PSA, so we, we had four physical chapters, Pretoria, Johannesburg, uh, Durban and Cape Town, and I joined in Cape Town because that's where I was living at the time. Mm, mm. And um, um, Charlotte, who will become the, the, she's the deputy president, will become the president next year of the association. Uh, she'd already started something, just sort of a casual thing, an occasional thing of having a virtual meeting as well. Mm. 
And, um, and then I came along and I was very experienced in virtual work. I do a lot of virtual training. I've delivered over 800 uh, virtual training sessions. Um, uh, even prior to this year, I think I was on nearly 700. So I've been doing this for a while. Mm. And um, what happened was we, we kind of took it to a new level and we made it a bit more structured and then eventually we got ourselves uh, chartered at an AGM um, as the official fifth chapter, the virtual chapter. Now, what we do is we primarily there to service any of the people who don't live in the major centers. Mm. Um, who, you know, so we've got people from Northern KZN and Peter Maritzburg and, um, and uh, Plettenberg Bay uh, and Port Elizabeth. Um, and now, because PSA is PSA Southern Africa, um, we also have people, members in Botswana. We did a whole sort of establishment thing there in January, just before lockdown. Mm. We went and visited the people in Botswana and we got something going there. We also have a strong following in Namibia, where we've got a bunch of regular people who attend uh, from Namibia. And it's now grown. We've got people in Kenya, Zimbabwe, Zambia, uh, Cameroon, and Nigeria, mm. who have also started to show interest. Oh, and Tanzania. Um, who've also started to show interest. So, so, so basically, we deal with the areas that are not covered by the physical chapters. Plus, there are people who have a physical problem attending a physical chapter. Mm. They maybe have a disability or a, or whatever that actually limits their ability to attend physical chapter meetings, and um, and they also um, um, tend to come to the virtual chapter meetings. You know what? You, you just summarize this so nicely because um, that's that's really really uh, that's really really cool the the way you laid it out. Now I want to find out something. So you mentioned that this is uh, in the beginning was to serve people that don't have the physical locations. Have you and and then, and then obviously the different countries. Have you noticed that in different countries the speakers will experience different challenges or have different questions or different mindsets? Have you noticed anything like that? Yes and no. Uh, yeah. I think that the most common problems I find with speakers are pretty much universal. I find it in every single physical chapter and every single attendee of a virtual chapter. Uh, there are unique things in each country. Uh, you know, so for example, um, uh, just becoming, uh, earning a living out of speaking mm. can be quite tricky in some economies. Um, and there are a lot of people who think they can get it for free and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, another a problem that I also see all over the place is that um, a lot of speakers uh, don't get recognized in their home country. Uh, you know, South African speakers always shine overseas. And we, you know, we bring internationals in and we think, oh, wow. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we, we have a lot of homegrown talent, but it's not always recognized. I see. Okay. Now, now let's say somebody's listening in and they like, they're amped. Like this is the first time they're listening to, to somebody explaining PSA to them. And they're like, you know what, well, if I want to join PSA, what can I get from PSA in terms of value that can help me grow as a, as, as a person? What would you say to them? So, so that brings me to the universal the mm. biggest problem I see with pretty much every uh, speaker that comes our way, and, and by the way, a speaker for us could be a, you know, a keynote inspirational type speaker um, or could be a, a training facilitator, which I do a lot of as well, and it could even be a coach. Um, so we, we, do, we cover a bunch of bases. But the most common problem across all of them is the professional part of being a professional speaker. And by that, I don't mean the quality of their speaking. 
I mean turning it into a profession, making a living out of speaking. And I, I, even for myself, you know, I, I joined the PSASA uh, three and a half years ago, I think it was. 2017 and, um, May. Here we go. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, and I remember attending my first full-blown convention early 2018. Yeah. And uh, I remember listening to Billy Silicani and then everybody else that weekend, but he kicked the whole conference off. And for the first time in my life, I went, you know what? I'm not a speaker. I'm an entrepreneur and speaking is my product. Mm. And for the first time, I started to take myself seriously as an entrepreneur because that is the piece that I think pretty much every speaker does or has struggled with is becoming... Uh, earning a living, knowing how to market themselves, how to position themselves, um, how to sell, uh, how to have that mindset of just because I speak well doesn't mean people are going to flock and throw money at me. Mm. And, uh, and, and that to me is the, is the thing where the PSASA has made the big difference in my life. Well, speaking about the, all the value that you received, I mean, what, what is the, it's a two-part question. What is the best advice that you receive from somebody at PSA and what is the worst advice? And you don't have to mention names if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best advice, I don't think there's one person. I just had this message over and over and over again, and that is learn how to sell. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't think, you know, this is not learning how to be a used car salesperson. Mm. It's really, uh, I think the problem with selling is, is, is pretty much twofold. The one is we don't do it enough. We don't actually set aside time to sell. Um, but the second problem is that, you know, I, I used to market Microsoft products. That was easy. Now I've got to market myself. Mm. That is a whole different ball game. Yep. And I find a lot of people struggle with that. So when I say learn how to sell, it's learn how to sell yourself, mm. not as in, um, you know, trick people, but learn what your own real value is and, and learn how to, to be yourself in a way that people will experience you as the product. Excellent. And the worst advice? Now, on the worst advice, <laughs> um, actually, it, it's again, it's, it's, it's a bunch of things together. Okay. It's all of the emphasis of you, you have to do everything. You've got to have a podcast and you've got to be on LinkedIn. You've got to be on Facebook. You've got to be on Instagram. And you, you've got to uh, put, be on YouTube and put videos. You have to be a 24-7 comedian store. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you've, you, it's just this constant, constant performance. And what I'm discovering is choose one or two of those and make them your own mm. and make them your life. Um, doing too many things actually means you end up doing nothing. You, you end up spending all of your time creating all these things and none of them are selling you anything. None of them are actually bringing you an income. Mm. Um, and, and I think that was the, and, and I, by the way, my biggest weakness is complexity. I really struggle with complexity. So doing just a couple of simple things well is uh, making a significant difference to what I'm selling at the moment. Sure. Ian, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your experience. And um, I want to ask you the last question before we wrap up is, I mean, you are living at mainland Maine right now and they are next to the highway. There are plenty of billboards. So imagine there's one gigantic billboard that can that's outside your apartment that's fully paid for and say ian you can have any message on it what do you want it to say it's such an interesting question and i've got a million thoughts running through my head about it um i i would say uh 
you are unique. Learn how that can change the world. That's beautiful. Ian, and, and finally, um, if somebody wants to get hold of you and say, look, you know, I love what you did for Mandla. I want the same transformation for my life. Where is the best place or where is the easiest place to get a hold of you? So the, the easiest is probably on morpheusgenius.com. Um, that's the one way, but I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is, is probably the one I spend the most time on. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, LinkedIn, it's Ian Hatton. Uh, there, there are a couple of us in the world, but uh, you'll <laughs> find me pretty quickly. Uh, uh -huh. One of them writes music scores for yes, movies I saw that and stuff I saw like that. that. One, yeah. uh, but but uh, you, you'll, I'm pretty close to the top of the list, so you'll find me fairly easily. Um, so either MorpheusGenius.com or simply Ian Hatton um, would be the, the, the best way. Awesome. Ian, thank you again for your time. Thank you, Charles.